Topic 31 of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 31 by John Henry Smythe. Negro Criminality John Henry Smythe, LLD, ex-U.S. Minister, Resident, and Consul General to Liberia, was born in the city of Richmond. His parents were Sully Smythe of Lynchburg, Campbell County, Virginia, and Anne Eliza, formerly Good, of Chesterfield County, Virginia. He received his first instruction from a lady of his own race, at a time when the laws of Virginia made it a penal offense to teach Negroes any other thing than manual labor. At the age of seven years, he was sent to Philadelphia to be educated. He attended the public schools of that city four years and two private schools under the control and direction of Friends or Quakers. He graduated from the Institute for Colored Youth, May 4, 1862. He displayed a decided taste and aptitude for the fine arts early in life, and at the age of sixteen years he became a student of art, and was admitted a member of the Life School of the Academy of Fine Arts, Philadelphia, a year before graduation. In 1870, he graduated from the law school of Howard University. The same year, he married the daughter of Reverend John Shippen of Washington, D.C., Miss Fanny Ellen, a lady whom he had the pleasure of instructing in the first elocution class of Howard University. For 18 years, he was in the service of the United States, beginning as a first-class clerk and ending as United States Minister and Consul General. For seven years he taught in the public schools of Pennsylvania, practiced law in the District of Columbia, North and South Carolina. On retiring from the diplomatic service in Liberia, two distinctions were conferred upon Mr. Smythe by Liberia College, the honorary degree of LLD, and by the President of Liberia, the Honorable Hilary Richard Wright Johnson, the Order of Knight Commander of the Humane Order of African Redemption. There were only two Americans so honored by the Black Republic. At present, Mr. Smythe is at the head of the Negro Reformatory Association of Virginia a corporation resident in virginia with authority to establish reform schools for delinquent negro minors of both sexes in virginia the first school of the association is the virginia manual labor school hanover virginia with one thousand eight hundred acres of land eight hundred of which is under cultivation the good people of mr smythe's native city richmond and friends in massachusetts connecticut 
Rhode Island, and New York have made possible the purchase of the plantation known as Broadneck Hanover. The principal benefactor was Mr. Collis P. Huntington of New York, who was pleased to make a contribution of $12,000 toward this worthy and necessary charity. We have need to felicitate ourselves as members of a great, though oppressed, race, that in Armstrong, the founder and promoter of this institution of practical learning, was given to us and to the nation, and that through his influence and example, Tuskegee and other similar institutions have grown into vigorous youth. Two of these seats of industrial education, through a system of race conferences, have given to us who are deprived of a popular press an opportunity to be heard in our own behalf upon subjects, the public discussion of which, through literary mediums, has been monopolized by members of the other race. Our moral delinquencies have been discussed recently at the North and in the South, at times in a sensible and at other times in a nonsensical way. Arguments have been made to the world by orators and writers seemingly more interested and concerned in making the worse appear the better reason than in philosophically looking into facts or honestly seeking to discover truth. From much that has been said, it would appear to one unacquainted with the american branch of the negro race that within thirty-five years it has become criminal although for nearly three centuries it has been a stranger to wrong-doing law-abiding and not law-breaking such radical change if change there has been in individuals or classes of people is rare abnormal and must be accounted for in some other way than by the wholesale charge of inherited savagery and innate moral obliquity. Crime from an hereditary standpoint may not justly be chargeable to one race of men to the exclusion of another, to the black race more than to the white, to the yellow races more than to the white or black the first crime was in the first family the sacred writings teach that god gave mid the thunderings of the heavens the smoking of the mountain and the consternation of the people the criminal code in the ten commandments which may be found in the traditions of heathen peoples somewhat modified just as in the written laws of all christian nations had crime not existed prior to this heavenly edict there would have been little apparent reason for this ancient pronouncement through a hebrew medium the conclusion seems then to be irresistible that mankind coveted stole lied were disobedient to parents were adulterers and murderers from the earliest times and only ceased to be so measurably in proportion as the sanctions of law were strong or weak. The Christian religion and civilizations other than Christian, with their religions, growth, and development under the influence of good 
wise and godly men have contributed more than all else through the decrease of crime and among all classes and conditions of men thou shalt not stays the course of crime the history of the black or african race since the decadence and destruction of the cities of north africa and the nile delta and the loss of prestige of the peoples who held sway in them has been shrouded and obscured and hence gratuitous arguments are made in regard to the savagery and bestiality which it is claimed we inherit of the progenitors of negro americans that are wholly unsupported by reliable data the acts of the puritan fathers of new england and of the cavaliers and the huguenots of the south toward indian and negro heathen in the new world men of whom it has been facetiously said that they fell first upon their knees and then upon the aborigines these acts together with the horrors of the middle passage and the unrequited toil of centuries of which the blacks were victims must be taken into account in considering the matter of crime in connection with this race and go far to explain a condition which otherwise would be abnormal the baleful influences of a dead and buried past account for crime among the old and the young negro americans the responsibility for which rests upon the united states rather than the southern states upon this nation rather than any part of it in virginia and maryland there were indentured white slaves when the system was abolished the same conditions plagued the colonists that annoy us now mr doyle in his work entitled english colonies in america says the liberated servant white became an idler socially corrupt and often politically dangerous the whites became an irresponsible shiftless and criminal class just as the negroes have become to an alarming extent since freedom there are to-day in certain sections of the south whole neighborhoods of whites almost without moral sense and near to barbarism it will not be pretended however that there has not been and is not now criminality among the negro race just as there was during the years of its oppression but a condition upheld and approved by the constitution laws and public sentiment of the nation cannot do other than plead guilty to having contributed to this result which has so greatly affected the estimation in which good men equally with bad men the innocent as well as the guilty of our race are held by the whites i am not clanking my chains as a negro and remembering the past and only do so in accounting for what the unreasoning and unsympathetic are disposed to regard as abnormal criminality in the american negro negro parents under the old regime were parents physically only the government of their children was in the hands of others obedience to parents enjoined by the decalogue was not rendered by children 
was not encouraged by others, nor could it have been enforced by parental authority. Filial affection in the slave child existed to an appreciable degree, notwithstanding these disadvantages. Parents and children came into the possession of freedom not sufficiently understanding nor appreciating the relation of each to the other. While I am clearly of opinion that it may not be successfully shown that Negro children are more criminal in inclination than other children, their home training, or rather their lack of home training, is greatly responsible for what of criminality there is among them. Negro parents, as a rule, seem disposed not only to give larger liberty to their children than they ought, but they give absolute license in too many instances. In illustration of this fact, in cities particularly, children are allowed to go from their homes in the night-time and wander the streets amid their baleful associations until nine, ten, eleven o'clock and longer. And when they return home, they do so unattended. The accounts given by them as to where they have been cannot be relied upon. Further, children are not required to be respectful to their elders of either sex. This condition does not obtain alone among children of ignorant and poor parentage, but absence of good manners is also often found among children and youths who have had fair common and high school advantages. This license has led directly and unerringly to the formation and cultivation of habits more likely to debase than elevate them. To venture criticism of parental latches or of the conduct of the young, to admonish or advise different manners and conduct from that which the inclination of the young seems to suggest, would be to run the risk of being regarded as officious or meddling, and thereby of inviting insult. Parents whose children are known to be of the class pictured are themselves timid and indisposed to insist upon obedience from them, for fear of offending them and causing them to go away from home. The inexperience and ignorance of childhood and youth coupled with the grant of too great liberty, are responsible for the too general tendency to wrongdoing. Negro parents who were themselves victims of oppression, as well as those who were born under the benign influences of freedom, have crude and unwise notions about the duty of requiring their children to do some kind of work. Too many Negro children are guarded from soiling their hands and developing their muscles with necessary and useful toil. The struggling, industrious widow, as well as the well-conditioned housewife whose husband has a good home and makes a good living, seeks to relieve her children of work. This encouragement of laziness can have but one outcome the living in the sweat of others' faces than their own. Under conditions such as these, parents possessed of radically ignorant and wrong notions about rearing their children 
unconsciously cultivate tendencies which lead to criminality. To the extent that a child's mind becomes familiar with higher conditions and mind work, to that degree does physical exertion in the way of mere muscle work become distasteful, and as a result the child becomes less efficient as a mere breadwinner by the sweat of his brow. Education is chargeable with producing a condition for which parents and not school teachers are responsible. Complete and entire reform in our system of home training of our boys and girls will go far to relieve youthful Negroes of the just censure for ill-breeding. How far all these reflections are applicable to the rearing and training of white children is for white parents to consider. Mr. Philip Alexander Bruce, in a recent publication in the Contemporary Review, accounts for moral delinquencies in the young of the race by the very natural and normal disposition of Negroes, where numerically strong, to segregate themselves from the whites. In London, one finds a French settlement. In nearly every large city in the United States, Germans live together. Italians, Swedes, and Norwegians settle among their congeners. It is not contended that they are less law-abiding and loyal citizens as a consequence of their nearness of living and association. Mr. Bruce enlarges upon the thought thus. Quote, the worst impression made by that society, a Negro community, is seen in the temper of the children. Whatever may be said in condemnation of the old system, it at least not only compelled the parents to restrain, and if needful to punish their offspring for bad conduct, but it also created an atmosphere of order and sobriety in the plantations which had a more or less beneficial influence on the character of the young. As the case now stands, the only discipline to which the little negro is subject is that exercised by parents too untrained themselves to understand how to govern him properly, and in most instances too ignorant to have any just idea as to the difference between right and wrong in the ordinary affairs of life what is the result the child grows up without any lessons in self-control and self-improvement or any intelligent appreciation of the cardinal principles of morality if the child is a boy he leaves his parents almost as soon as he can earn his own support and only too often leads for years the life of a vagabond all the worst impulses of his nature are further encouraged by this wandering and irresponsible existence. Is it strange that, under the operation of this influence alone, the number of black criminals in the southern states is increased to an alarming degree? End quote. What good effect could result from restraint exercised or punishment inflicted by parents whose judgment and will were dormant. It is only when a parent governs and controls, ignorant though he may be, that the best results can be expected to follow. 
judgment affection and concern for the child must enter into the method of his training if the rearing is to be beneficial and helpful to my mind but one merit can be claimed for the old system of enslavement a discipline as to labor which produced the best results to the master class and made the slave orderly and systematic in the performance of his tasks though smarting even now under the resultant influences of a destroyed system we can afford to do justice to the good men and women of the white race who constituted a part of the system slavery as it has been known in the outside world is not slavery as it was in the genteel and pious homes and households of the south here the people were treated almost as members of the family uncles and aunts and mammies and playmates they were necessary supplements sharers of all great occasions of joy or sorrow of feasts and sufferings and the tenderest and most watchful care was bestowed on them consideration for the servants was the test of the quality mutual influences went to make as pure high and beautiful a civilization as the system was capable of and no philanthropist on earth has ever had a deeper horror for the evils that have been represented as slavery in the south than many of the quality nor anywhere was the wise abolition of slavery more earnestly studied and desired than by the good people of the southern states in the discussion of the criminality of the negro too much importance is attached to mere statistics in any discussion of an ethical character mere statistics may not be relied upon i shall present a few which are entirely authentic but which prove little in my opinion prejudicial to the negroes of to-day as compared with the negroes of the past and could not unless figures could be adduced alike authentic showing the criminality of the negroes as bondmen neither can comparison between the criminality of the blacks and whites be cited to the negro's prejudice in the light of the disparity between the races in every essential element of race growth the foregoing facts greatly detract from any comparative criminal exhibit in which negroes of to-day are made to figure the last united states census furnishes some figures which seem to be more in the negro's favor than against him persons of all races in the penitentiaries of the united states in eighteen ninety were forty five thousand two hundred and thirty three of which number fourteen thousand six hundred and eighty seven were colored prisoners in county jails nineteen thousand five hundred and thirty eight of which number five thousand five hundred seventy seven were colored inmates in juvenile reformatories fourteen thousand eight hundred and forty six of which one thousand nine hundred and forty three were colored of a total of seventy three thousand forty five almshouse paupers 
only six thousand four hundred and sixty seven were negroes of murderers there were two thousand seven hundred and thirty nine negroes out of a total of four thousand four hundred and twenty five in eighteen fifty there was one criminal to three thousand five hundred of population in eighteen ninety one criminal to six hundred and forty five of population whites one to every one thousand and blacks one to every two hundred and eighty four take the ignorance of the negro as to secular matters the moral torpor in which he necessarily exists his poverty the presumption of guilt when charged with crime his inability to defend himself his being forced to plead to an information or indictment in forma pauperis could crime charged and established against him be less than it is ought not the record to be worse rather than better of the fourteen thousand eight hundred and forty six juvenile delinquents given an opportunity to re-enter society and walk in the straight path through reformatories only one thousand nine hundred and forty three were negroes with the doors of almshouses swung wide to seventy three thousand forty six paupers racial pride prevented poor negroes entering these homes of mercy and only six thousand four hundred sixty seven allowed themselves to become objects of public charity with a larger percentage of unskilled than skilled negro laborers in eighteen ninety only two thousand two hundred and fifty three of six thousand five hundred and forty six convicts whose employments were known were in the penitentiaries of the land of forty five thousand two hundred and thirty three criminals but two hundred and fifty three were persons who had enjoyed higher educational advantages and not a single educated negro figures in the enumeration what are the remedies for existing criminality and how may its increase be checked popular secular education for whites and blacks compulsory if possible erected on a broad basis of christianity is the only safe enduring moral and economic remedy mere secular education may not be relied upon to restrain crime and we must honestly own that our only hope is in the diffusion of true religion the church should take the initiative in this matter the state i the nation should come to the assistance of the church and of those states in which the burden is too great for them to bear it successfully if the holy scriptures be not the basis of all worthy knowledge our civilization is a fraud individual philanthropy has done much towards aiding in the matter of education particularly so-called higher education may not individual wealth help to minimize ignorance dissipate poverty help the feeble in mind and morals of the race to robust christian manhood Quote, for many men of great possessions the voice of conscience is effective as the contemplated grasp of the tax-gatherer could never be 
Around them they see ignorance to be banished, talent missing its career, misery appealing for relief. They know that the forces of the times have brought them their large fortunes, only through cooperation and the protection of the whole community. So with justice in their hearts, as well as generosity, they found the benefactions which are doing so much to foster the best impulses of American life. And in this response to public duty, they find conferred upon riches a new power and fascination. End quote. The reform schools for juveniles throughout the North and West, and those in Virginia, represent Christian agencies for the reduction and destruction of crime in its germinal state, and are a display of wise and humane statesmanship on the part of legislators. The white people of Virginia, ever responsive to appeals in behalf of human need, made possible the Virginia Manual Labor School at Broad Neck Farm, Hanover, Virginia. It was this sentiment, in behalf of moral reform, among Negro children and youths, that brought to the aid of this institution the interested concern of a man of wealth and national influence, whose sympathy for the poor and ignorant of his countrymen, white and black, is as broad and far-reaching as ignorance and human suffering. This reformatory, opened September 12, 1899, and aided by the state February 5, 1900, began with a nucleus of five Negro boys, and has now, under its guardianship, 52 children. It has thus early demonstrated conclusively that saving and redemptive elements of character exist in Negro children no less than in those of other races also that for tractableness and responsiveness to kindly influences delinquent negro children show themselves of legitimate kinship to that race among whom as the classic writer tells us the gods delighted to disport themselves the gentle ethiopians i know how disposed as a race we are to wilt to lose heart and complain in the glare of new exhibitions of prejudice, such as harass us in our native Virginia and our brethren in other parts of the country. To such I put the question, by courage can we not lessen misfortune? Yes, a thousand times yes. Courage turns ignoble agony into beautiful martyrdom. Its alchemy is universal, is the stake a misfortune to the martyr it is his dearest fortune is oppression prejudice or ignorance a misfortune to the reformer it is the very condition of his reform is misunderstanding injustice suspicion or contempt a misfortune to the earnest man or woman anywhere who is trying to guide his life by a more celestial trigonometry than petty minds can conceive? In one sense these things are to be deplored, but in another and deeper sense nothing is to be dreaded that can be faced and known by an unfrighted, 
human spirit. A misfortune bravely met is a fortune, and the world is full of people happy because bravely unhappy. End of Topic 31 